Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. For those of us who don't get ice cream this morning, um, if you'd like to join us in Scripture, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, you could turn to 1 John chapter 4. If you like, 1 John is near the end of your Bible, and so if you're turning in there, it's, it's near the back. It's not. If you go all the way to, back, to the back, you'll get to Revelation, come forward a little bit, and eventually you'll, you'll find 1 John kind of towards the back. This week, we're continuing our series, Knowing God. And, and we're, what we're doing is we're trying to, to take some steps to understand when, when we talk about God, when we, when we sing about God, when we mention God, well, who and what is this God that we're talking about? What can we know about him? What can we understand about him? And we've talked about the, the doctrine of the Trinity. We've talked about God the Father doing our best to, to understand that God is existence that God isn't dependent on other things for existence, but that he is existence itself, that everything that exists exists because of him. He doesn't exist because of other things. He is existence itself. He's, he is eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, that he's not just simply a bigger, exaggerated version of each one of us, but that he's something entirely above and beyond our existence, not bound by the same thing that we are. And we've talked about what it means that, that God is our creator and our father, that we are his children and we're invited into this deeply intimate, deeply close relationship that we have with God. And now this week, we're, we're shifting our topic just a little bit, um, moving away from sort of the, the purely question of what is God and, and setting our sights more on the question who is God? Not, not to say that somehow we've completely exhausted the what is God discussion. Well, now you know everything. But, but in order to understand more, we need to shift our focus a little bit away from, from just what, but more on to who. Looking at what we would call, what you might call the attributes of God. What, what does scripture tell us about who God is? And as we move through the Bible, what we discover is a couple different places. There's places where, where people will say something about who God is is. Or there's even times where God will say, this is who I am. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack some of these things. And, and particularly what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to take a look at some of the more difficult ones. That, that it's, it's not bad and it's not wrong to talk about how God is faithful. But let's talk about what it means when God says about himself, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. That's a little more to unpack, and there's a little more depth, not more depth, but a little bit of a different kind of depth that we can unpack when God himself identifies himself as jealous. Or what does it mean for us that God is holy? And so we're going to unpack some of these things over the next couple of weeks. But this week, we have to do a little bit of a straddle. We have to have sort of one foot in one camp and one foot in the other camp as we talk about this who is God and what is God kind of different questions because this, what we're going to talk about this week is really an answer to both. 
Who is God and what is God? Because to really begin to understand who God is, there's one place that we have to begin. There's just one place where, where we must begin the discussion of who is God. Because there's one attribute above every other as we talk about who is God that all of the other ones come from. That all of the other ones start from. And so as we look at John chapter 4, we're going to discover together what, what we mean by that. And so what it will say in John chapter 4, or sorry, first, whoops, first John, we needed a new microphone anyway. Um, first John chapter 4, um, we're going to start at verse 7. And so what that will say is this, uh, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but he can, John continues. This is how God showed us love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Right in the middle of this, we, we come to our key point and this key understanding that we need to have of who God is and what God is, because in order to understand all of these other things, we have to get this first. Right in the middle of our verses together that we read today, we read this in verse 8, God is love. Now we're going to come back to this first John passage and unpack it a little more to see what it is that we can really learn from that. But I want to talk about this concept for a moment, that God is love. Because what it doesn't say is that God is loving. That, that it doesn't say, well, God is a loving God, but it tells us that God is love. It's like how we talk about God being existence itself. What is existence? God is. That in order for something, that God doesn't exist because of something, something exists because of God. And so as we talk about God is love, what we need to understand is that, that it's not that God is loving, but it's that to understand the word love is to understand God. When, when we look at a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that speaks about love, and we read this, we read, love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. As we read a passage like that, we shouldn't think to ourselves, wow, isn't it neat how, how the definition of love really lines up with, with what I believe to be true about God? Is, isn't it neat that, that what love is, is, is what God is? Because love isn't something that just God does. Love isn't something that just informs us of who God is or a part of who God is. But God is love. And so as we read these statements about what love is, we're not allowing love to define God, but we understand that love is patient because God is patient. 
We don't go, well, love is patient, so then God must be patient. No, we go, God is patient, so love then must be patient. To try and understand who God is, you cannot get there without knowing at the very core God is love. See, love doesn't define who God is. God defines what love is. We don't understand God through the lens of love. We understand love through the lens of God. Love isn't a multitude of things that God is, but everything that God is comes from the fact that God is love. See, God's love is, is it's, it's not in conflict with the other things that we would say about God. It's not competing with, and it's, it's not just, well, a little from column A, a little from column B. But when we talk about God's holiness, when we talk about God's righteousness, or his justice, or even his wrath, all of who God is starts from the fact that God is love. And then every other piece of the puzzle comes from there. Everything that God does is just and right, but it flows out of and begins with an understanding that God is love. So if we go back to this passage at 1 John that we began with, and then we can sort of unpack a little bit of what Paul, or sorry, not what Paul is saying, I'm used to saying that, but what John is saying, our small group is going through 1 Corinthians. So I say what Paul said to us, I say that a lot every week, um, but this week it's what John said to us, um, we can unpack it from there. And so to understand the context of the words here, we have to start with who wrote them. John, not Paul, an apostle of Jesus wrote this letter to, to churches and he begins to unpack. And at the beginning of this chapter, if you look at John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John begins by talking about false teachers and, and false prophets that are going to come. That, that as, as the church grows and the church expands, people are going to come into the church with weird doctrines and wrong doctrines and false doctrines. And he, so he begins to warn them about this. And more specifically, he says that they're going to come and they're going to claim to be from God. But they're doing so falsely. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because many false teachers have gone out into the world. They're, test to see what they're saying. Does it, does it make sense with who God is? And then John begins to unpack for them and if you want to understand who God is, if you want to know what to test these spirits against, and you need to know who God is, and he begins at the heart. God is love. And so he tells us one way to test these, these, the spirits, the, the messages of people who come claiming to be from God is what somebody's ability to love. And after John makes clear the difference between the false prophets and the true believers... He tells us very strongly to love one another. That, that we need to love one That this is how you're going to know that you're from God, is that you have the ability to love one another. That we need to be able to love one another. We need to have, have a brotherly, sisterly love for one another. That's not just because I like them, but because we love each other. And as we gather in a, in a group like this, and, and as we gather together, you know, there, there's people in this room that you really like, potentially. 
There's people in this room that you don't know? Probably. And if we're honest, there's maybe some people in the room that you're like, hon, let's not sit with them at lunchtime. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I mean, you're all wonderful people. I don't know what you could have against each other, but probably something. But this is where we love each other. Is that we don't just go, well, well, you know, they bug me, I don't love that. No, we're called to love one another in spite of all the stuff that we have with each other. Yvonne and I had a very dangerous conversation last night. She said to me, honey, is there any little things that I do that bother you? <laughs> now, we did come to church this morning in separate vehicles. But we always do. I come much earlier than she does. So, no, if we were good. And we had a good conversation. And my daughter said, are you guys going to fight? And we said, no, no, no. She said, good, because I hate it when you fight. Um, but, but our love goes far beyond the things that, that bug one another. When we're living out love the way we're supposed to. We're supposed to love, one each, love each other more than just on a surface level. Do they bug me or do they not. And then as he's sharing about this importance of loving one another, we come to verse 8 again where he says, whoever doesn't love does not know God because God is love. In this verse we see that John tells us who God is, is what love is. Since the Garden of Eden, God has acted on behalf of humanity. Showing his love and support for, for his creation. There, of course, has been consequences from the very beginning that we only get three chapters into the Bible before we have to start seeing our, 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 our consequences for our actions. And from there, from we get Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 where things are pretty good. And then from Genesis 3 all the way through to the end of the book is God, God's love reconciling itself with our disobedience. But through all of this, God has maintained a relationship with people since Genesis chapter 3, since the fall. Why? He could have been done with us. There's nothing saying that he couldn't have just said, forget this. These people are messed up. Let's try again. They'll just leave these guys all to themselves. They can do whatever they want. It's fine. I'm going to try again with a little bit of something different. We failed. We flopped. We dropped the ball. God didn't mess us up. We messed us up. But yet God somehow looks at this messed up and he, and he sticks with us. Why does he keep going with us? The answer is evident in, in God's love and in all of the stories that follow through the Bible where God continues to act on behalf of his creation that he loves then what, what, what could be seen as a simply metaphorical statement that, that when John says, God is love, we could just, oh, what a pretty metaphor for, for what God is. 
But as we, as we look at who God is and we look at the testimony of God through the pages of Scripture, we see it's not just this metaphorical statement, but it, it takes on a very literal meaning when we look at the conclusion of John's claim. In this passage, John brings his discussion of love and he points us to the ultimate expression that he can give us as the definitive picture of what love looks like. The sacrifice of Jesus for humanity. In verse 10, we'll say this. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. What does that mean? He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. For our sins. What does it mean that God loves us? It means that Jesus died on the cross so that even though we've messed it up and we've dropped the ball, we can come back to our Father. And so, as we come to understand that God is love, that He isn't just loving, and we look at God's relationship to his creation, we, we come to understand something so significant about God's love, especially in light of what we talked about last week. See, as people, we're wired to be conditional. Everything that we pretty well do, every relationship we have, when you boil it down far enough, is Conditional. I've told this story a couple times. We've got lots of new people, so if you've heard this before, you can laugh again. And if you haven't heard this before, uh, when Yvonne and I were getting married, um, we did some premarital counseling. And, and one of the premarital counseling things that we did was um, they sent you like this computer thing, and you had to answer like all of these questions. And then it would analyze all the answers to all of your questions. And it compared to one another, and then say, these are some areas where you might have conflict. And, and so Yvonne and I did all of this, and we, we met with the, the fellow who was leading us through all of this. And he said, there was one question that, that we, and it was like a scale of one to five kind of thing or whatever. How sure are you of this? And the guy who was leading got us together. He said, there was one question where, where the, the computer flagged it because you answered it completely different, and it's a really important foundational question. And, and the question was, could your spouse ever do anything to make you stop loving them? And Yvonne, bless her heart, her loving, kind, sweet heart, said no. <laughs> and I read the question and I said, yep. <laughs> she sure could. And Yvonne said, well, I know you would never do those things. And I said, that's not what the question asked. The question isn't, would they? question was, could they? And yes, fundamentally, our relationships are conditional. We're wired to think and believe and understand in our relationships that, that when I'm doing good, when I'm being good, then I'm deserving of love and credit. And when others are doing good and when others are being good, then they are deserving of love and credit. And if I stop doing those things, if I stop doing things that allow me to be deserving of love and deserving of credit, then love and credit are no longer deserved. And actually, inside of our relationships with other people, that, that's not a bad thing on, on a certain level. It's not a bad thing that, that people have to treat you well in order for you to want to be with them. That's not a bad thing. 
That's not, well, you're being, no, that's, that's just being healthy. But where it becomes a problem is when we cannot, and we, every single person struggles with this on some level, but when we cannot take that understanding of a conditional relationship, when we can't take that away, when we try to understand our relationship with God. When we take this thing that's true in essentially every relationship that we have and place it in our relationship when our heavenly, with our Heavenly Father. When I'm doing and being good, then God will love me. But if I stop doing and being good, then will God stop loving me? If, if I mess up, Will God stop loving me? If I, if, I, if I break one of the Ten Commandments, will God stop loving me? If I do, if I think the wrong thoughts, will God stop loving me? Because I have to do and be good in order to be deserving of love. And if I'm not doing and being good, will God continue to love me? But God isn't just loving. God is love. His love for us can't be broken and it can't have conditions because it's not based on us. It's not based on what I can do. God doesn't look at me and go, yeah, okay. Or when I'm having a really good day, like, all right, you can come in. But each day we start, it's not like that. God doesn't love us because of us. God loves us because God is love. It's who he is. He loves us not because we've done something to make him love us. He loves us because he is love. Everything he's ever done, everything he is doing, and everything that he will do has been out of love. And so as we understand that, there, that this, there's a couple things that I want you to take home today for, for you to be able to know and understand about your life and your circumstance because God is love. First, we can have salvation because of God's love. God didn't send Christ as a reward to the obedient. He sent him as a ransom for the defiant. God didn't send Jesus as a reward for those of us who are obedient. He sent, it, uh, he sent him as a ransom for all of us in our defiance. We see Jesus display his love throughout his ministry as he healed the sick without asking anything of them. As he washed the feet of those who would betray, deny, and abandon him. As he displayed humility even though he was the king of kings. You may have heard this verse once or twice, but for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Salvation is open to all of us if we accept Jesus as Lord because of God's love. Not because of us. Not, not because of what we've done. That, that It's not because of anything we've done. It's because of God's love. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. 
And so God's love makes a way for whoever believes. God's love doesn't discriminate. Because it's not about us, it's about his love. Second thing, we can have trust because of God's love. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 earlier about what love is. And at the core of these, these qualities that we read, patient, kind, keeps no record of wrongs, love never fails, is the wavering and unfailing aspect of godly love. We see that as God has proven this to be true about his nature, about himself to humanity throughout the ages, as we talked about earlier. We get to Genesis chapter 3 before things fall apart. And it's not by Genesis chapter 4 that everything is back together again. But from Genesis 3 and on, we see God's continued love and care for his creation, whether we're good and we're living for him and we're doing all the things we should, or whether we're not. Through the Israelite rebellions, God continued to maintain his covenant relationship with them. After Jonah fled from the Lord, God continued to deliver him from death through the, through the fish as Peter denied him, as the disciples fled him, as, John perse- or as Paul persecuted his church. God continued to show his love. And even as Jesus hung on a cross... Dying for our sins, his love remained as we see him praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. By looking at the faithfulness of God's love from the beginning of history, we can have trust that God's love will continue. Second, or third, sorry. We can have rest because of God's love. We are conditioned to see ourselves in this world as you are what you do. Or you are how people are, or how other people see you. That you can be deserving of love if you look a certain way. If your life functions a certain way. Or you can present your life on social media in a certain way. Or if you get so many likes or follows. Or you can be loved if you own this. Or you can be loved if your kids are like this. Or you can be loved if your kids make the traveling team for sports. Or you can be loved if you're athletic. Or you can be loved if you're musical. You can be loved if, if, if. Or you can be loved when, when, when. And all this has happened because deep down we've confused how we perceive ourselves with who we are. That the way we're perceived, that's who I am. How people see me, that's who I am. But that's not who I am. That's how other people see me. But God says to us, I love you if you're having a great day. And I love you when you blow it. I love you if your social media presence is terrible. I love you if your kids turned out great and made every single right decision. And I love you if their lives are falling apart 
and you feel like a failed parent. Because God loves you for you. Just for who you are. Totally disconnected from your performance and your accomplishments. And this matters. This really matters. Because if we can ever get this to go from our heads to our hearts, if we can ever go from understanding, yeah, I know that's true, but to really knowing that it's true, then we begin to care less what other people think. And it can be an antidote to to some of our anxieties and and some of our our social stresses, our, our drivenness, our workaholism, trying to balance all this guilt and what you ought to do with your life with trying to believe what's true. But Jesus offers us something different than all of this when he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I don't know about you, but the number of times in my life where I've said to myself or said to Yvonne or said to somebody else, you know, just once I get through this stretch of of whatever, things aren't going to be so busy. And I don't know that I've ever said that once and it's ever come true. (laughs) That next week only looks busy because it's not next week. But when next week becomes this week, man, it's going to be busy. But Jesus says, come to me when you're tired, when you're worn out, when you're burdened down. And that's a promise because what that is, is Jesus isn't saying, come to me when you're at your best. Come to me when when everything is right. Come to me when you're good and then I'll have something for you. But Jesus said, when you're at your lowest, when you're at your weakest, when you're beaten down, worn out and have nothing left to give anyone and you are not able to be deserving of love because you don't have it in you to be able to do anything to receive it, then come to me. Because I still love you. And instead of trying to work for love, Come and find love, and I'll give you rest. We don't have to strive, work, and fight to struggle, to live up to something, to just try and not screw up the fact that we're loved. But instead, Jesus says that in him we can let all striving cease, and in his love we can find rest for our souls. Last thing this morning, we can have confidence because of God's love. In Psalm 136, we read over and over and over again that the love of God is unfailing. We'll say this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, his love endures forever. We're not going to read all of them because it says it 26 times. 26 verses that God's love endures forever. Again and again and again and again. His love endures forever. And as we look back upon his love from the beginning of time, when we understand that God's love isn't given to us simply because we deserve it, but because it's who he is despite the fact we don't deserve it, we can grow in our understanding and our confidence that God will continue to love his children that God will continue to love you 
and me. When God says my love will endure forever, he knew exactly how big of a screw-up you are. He didn't say that and then now come to this place and go, I didn't reckon on them. Whoa, I didn't realize I meant that for this much of a train wreck. Well, it's good for everybody else, but maybe not for you. No, that's not his love endures forever. And that's his promise to your life today. God is love. And his love is very different from the way we love his people. God's love is unconditional and it's not based on feelings or emotions. He doesn't love us because we're so lovable or because we make him feel good. He loves us because he is love. He created us to have a loving relationship with him and he sacrificed his own son who also willingly died for us to restore that relationship. Not because he had to, not because he had no choice, but because of his great love for us. Let's pray together. Father God, I am so grateful that I don't have to earn your love. I am so grateful that I don't have to have a certain performance or a certain way of doing things and that your love is fragile based on what I do. But God, I'm so grateful today that we can come into your presence. We can come into your, your throne room. Your word will tell us that we can enter boldly into the presence of God. And God, I thank you that we can do that, not because we've earned the right, but because of your great love, you have given us the right. And so, God, I pray that for each one gathered here today, just like as last week we talked about how you are the eternal rock, God, I pray that each one gathered here today, they would be able to rest on the knowledge that your love for them is eternal. And it is the rock they can lean on. And whatever storms life brings and however we navigate the storms, that we can continue to come back to our Heavenly Father time and time again and not have to wonder if we'll be welcomed. But to know that you love us. God, I thank you that you're not just loving, but that you are love. And so, God, I pray that this would just become a reality for each one of us, especially those here today who struggle with the idea of being loved. God, I know that there are those here today who struggle with the idea of, can my heavenly Father really truly love me? If this is true, how can he love me? If that's true, how can he love me? If I've done this, how can he love me? God, I pray that you would just show us again, reveal to us again, show us in a new way how we're loved by you. God, we thank you that we can come to you time and again and you love us time and again. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do for us. God, thank you that we can come to you time and again. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. God is on the Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. 
and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Separate us.